is expecting you. Yes, welcome to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. Today we will be discussing Book 3, Episode 15, The Boiling Rock Part 1. This is part one of our little two-parter, kind of now halfway through the second half of the season, kind of three-quarters of the way through, a little, little, little interesting like that, um, but fun nonetheless. Today, joining me is Corey. Greetings. And that's it. So, let's kick things off on, as usual, with our initial thoughts. Corey, why don't you start things off? It was a great episode. Um, I think the pairing of Zuko and um, and Sokka. oh my god, Sokka! Wow, Name sorry, Sokka. Yeah, I've had a long day. Uh, Zuko and Sokka is phenomenal. Uh, it was a very interesting story. They have great dynamics together. It was both funny, um, a little heartwarming, seeing um, Zuko at this next stage of his life where he's he's really incorporating more humor and obviously really thinks about Iroh every day and, and tries to, to, like, what would Iroh do moments? And, uh, you know, to varying success, obviously. He has some brilliant line Zuko's, like, yeah, I'm, I'm never happy. Like, that literally got me to laugh out loud, and <laughs> I've heard it, like, four times. And then the most famous line in all of Avatar... My first girlfriend became the moon. That's rough, buddy. Is iconic, most iconic meme. Most iconic meme in all of Avatar. Um, this is a very great episode and a phenomenal first part with a good cliffhanger. Yes. Um, I agree with basically all that. I, I've always really liked uh, this little two-parter. Um, it's kind of... A f- kind of... F- Fun might not be exactly the right word because we are in a prison, but it's kind of a little bit of a fun, uh, fun distraction. I mean, before this, you have Firebending Masters, which you know we we did complain about a, a fair amount, but is still kind of a meant to be kind of more of a, a pretty heavier Ang learning Firebending thing. And then obviously after this is kind of the you know one of the heaviest episodes of the series with Southern Raiders, and then we go into the fin- you know finale after after Amber Island players. So this is kind of like our last like. What I, I think many people would think of as kind of like classic Avatar and kind of relatively one-off. The story is kind of, it's there for, even though it impacts the plot significantly because of who's going to show up in terms of um, Kiyoshi and, uh, or as in Suki and, and eventually Hakoda. But it is kind of the last like kind of one-off, let's kind of have a f- relatively fun couple of episodes, which is kind of, which is kind of interesting going into the finale. Um there's just some really cool stuff. I think Corey hit it on it really right when he said the dynamic between Sokka and Zuko is, is really it's really good. It's a, it's a fun pairing. They do it in a way that, that makes total sense, but is also fun and, and kind of interesting. Um, and in general, I, I think it really um, it helps to show the kind of why putting Zuko into this group matters. And I'll, and I'll talk about that more once we once we get there. Um, and then, of course, one thing I, I cannot mention enough, I love the Boiling Rock music. That little, like, riff that plays, like, every time they're, like, either in the prison or when, when Zuko first mentions the Boiling Rock, it just, I don't know, it feels... It feels very right for what this for this episode. It feels very right for what we see from the Boiling Rock. I've, I've always enjoyed that little piece of music, so that's that's really great. Right. Um, 
This is also one of our uh, very like sort of straightforward, like very beginning to end. It you know it kind of just the plot flows in in one direction. There's there's one story, um, just kind of what we see, we, what we saw last last time with with um, Firebending Masters, what we'll see with Southern Raiders. So it's sort of also that the kind of the last step of like the the one story, especially now that we don't have two tracks um, as Zuko has joined joined the gang, um, and right here. Um, I want to talk about this because I, I think this episode, significantly more so than Fire Running Masters, and I, I would even argue more so than Southern Raiders, is my favorite sort of use of Zuko as who he is, but adding him to the group of Team Avatar. Because fundamentally, you've when you bring Zuko into this group, you, you've added obviously you've added a new player, but you've also You've added someone with a very different sort of set of whether it's skills, but emotions and and ways of thinking compared to the other members of of the gang. And with with Aang, the dynamic is really just he's another fire, you know, he's another teacher. And the the firebending stuff is really not that much different from his trials with with Katara or trials with Toph. I mean, there's some issues. They figure out a way to work them out typically in about one episode, and Aang is very good at bending because he's the Avatar. Southern Raiders works very well, because, but it's entirely focused on Katara as who she is. I actually don't think Zuko has all that much to do in that episode outside of just being a firebender. But in this one, I really think that this works very well with tying Sokka's emotional state with the with Zuko with you have this whole like Sokka needs to regain his honor which is obviously a kind of Mimi but also is to some extent the, the what we've seen from from Zuko for a long time and I think putting them together is very smart here do you do you agree with that as this sort of like this this specific pairing being kind of really good and and specifically like uses Zuko's like talent is a word, weird word to use, but kind of, you know, sometimes I do use these basketball analogies, and it's like I think this this actually is like the right usage for for Zuko. Absolutely, I mean, he knows the Fire Nation, obviously, and he knew the the prison and all about the prison. And uh, Sokka had a line too, like I, I need this for my honor. So it's again, who else would you want to pair? him with as a, a fully uh, reformed Zuko. So this was his perfect use in every way, shape, and form, and was a very interesting uh, way for Sokka to tell Zuko why he has to do what he has to do. Mm-hmm. But it, again, it's like it's one of those things, too, and I'm, of course I'm glad it happened this way, because if you added more people, you would not have gotten this great dynamic, but it does make you think why he decided to sneak. I, I don't think Team Avatar would have been against helping and I, I think it was a little contrived that he just wanted to sneak away and do it on his own where he could have gotten everyone to help but it is what it is I actually kind of disagree with that I, I think it does make sense because if you really like if you really look at what where Sokka's mental state is at this point he for up until the invasion for the most part even most of his plans really had like were centered on him and like one or two people and 
but with the invasion, Sokka was suddenly sort of responsible for for tons upon tons of people, and and I think that on some level that 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 his failure there really shook his his conf like clearly we say it, like he really shakes his confidence and like in his ability to plan, and I think that he feels a great amount of shame that he he was the reason that these people were put into this position, and I think that it makes sense that he wouldn't want to put anyone else in that position at this point that for him he has to do this and you know kind of either on his own or sort of he he is afraid to once again ask other people to be involved in a battle that he is sort of putting together and i think that makes sense right yeah sure i mean again it's it's it, it didn't bother me as much at all and Obviously, the the pairing ended up being perfect, so it's it's very interesting. It was it was such a from the beginning such a good dynamic, and I always talk to you and debate you about what's a good joke versus a bad joke during a good time and a bad time, and they I think they nailed the the perfect combination. And just uh, just to add one more thing to that, I think if you compare this to Imprisoned, which is the other time we end up in a fire nation prison and are rescuing people i think if you do want to have a criticism of of imprisoned and we probably said this back back in book one that that episode is obviously about katara it is it is is, she's there for katara to be sort of coming into her own as as what uh, as a leader and someone who will not turn her back on on defense on people who are defenseless i think ang is like really really bad in that episode and I don't, like, we don't really understand why he's there. And I think it's, like, very telling that outside of the very initial scene and the one, like, here's your homework, Ang, he doesn't, he isn't in this episode. And right. I think that that's, I actually think that's a good thing because, and I, again, I, I understand that you're, you're, that you're agreeing with this. So I'm not really disagreeing with here, but just kind of to add a final point on it, like, if the entire gang goes and it's just like, okay, it's still Sokka's emotional thing. Like, he's the one dealing with stuff. But just like, you have Aang kind of in the background being kind of goofy and being Aang. I don't think that would add anything to this. No. And even Katara adding a wrench of, you know, that's not a good idea. It's a good idea. This, that, it would have also really yeah. much uh, hurt it. Um, I, I think these two were all that needed and then adding um you know in the end uh uh i'm sorry again i've had a long day zuki uh was another perfect addition and then the the guy they rescued the fire nation prisoner they rescued did you you ever watch the the jackie chan adventure show yes does he remind you of the, the the big guy in jackie chan adventure i'm gonna be honest i really don't remember much jackie chan adventure yeah, they I did watch they, it, but I have not. I don't remember they, much. They had the same frame, which is besides the point. But they, this, I, their personalities were identical. I wonder if there was any inspiration from that. Mm-hmm. All right. So specifically on the blimp, once they're they're on their way to the boiling rock, I have I have a couple of a couple of little like line analysis not analyses I want to do. Um, First, I really like just the inherent awkwardness that you see out of Zuko and Sokka. Um, it's sort of, I think it 
works really well considering the other the kind of the other field trips where you have Ang who there's really I don't think it would be all that possible to be awkward around Ang like he can literally be friends with anything and I, I don't like I never think there's gonna I don't think there there wasn't really any awkwardness last week and I, I don't think that's really possible with Ang and while with Katara there's obviously some there are issues and I mean we can we can debate Zutara until we're blue in the face but that dynamic is a lot more is, is very different this one actually felt legitimately awkward it felt like these are two people who are kind of like why are we in this blim together like this is kind of weird and i think and i i, I liked it i, I thought it, it, it fits really well with who these two people are and also was i, I think i said this during a little bit during western air temple that I think it's important for us, like from a from a showing perspective, to know, to understand that the, that the transition of Zuko into this group of friends is not, it shouldn't be a hundred percent seamless. And I'm glad that they went the route the route of this of just sort of little, just kind of little moments here and there, rather than like let's have a full episode like the chase that is just Katara and Toph can't get along because they hate each other, like. That was like so like over the top and like kind of very heavy, like he- very heavy handed. I liked it, and this one is just kind of like you can feel that it's a little weird that these people are in the, like all together. Right. Not, not, I, but also, I mean, like when when Zuko like first met up with uh, Suki and was like, well, she was like, oh yeah, the last time I saw you, you burned down my village. That was like another again. It was like. I feel like there could have been drama there, and they they foregone it for the sake of keeping the pace of the episode and tone of I the episode consistent. I, we'll get there, but I think that there's more to it than that. That has more to do with situation than it does the show. Um, the other, but I, want, I just want to finish these these sort of things specifically on on, on the blimp. Um, so Zuko says while when um, you know Sokka says. How you know you had to leave your entire family? That must have been hard. And 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 Zuko then just goes like, "It wasn't that hard." Do you believe him? Yeah. yeah. No, I do not. Because neither do I. I think he's put. I think. I. I mean. I, I think he's lying to himself. I don't, I don't think he's necessarily lying, but I. I think it was hard, and I think that that. The way he says it is very is telling of where his emotional state is. That he is really that he has fully like committed himself to to, to who he is now and to to being on, um, you know, on the right side. But I think it's interesting that he doesn't that he's sort of again not really lying, but at least. Kind of not maybe not admitting to himself quite how difficult this like this was for him and how long this whole thing took but he also i think he's also accepted the fact that iroh and he said it was my father all along so while i agree it wasn't easy for him to leave his family i think he's also accepting the fact that he did because he realized what a good a parent and dad Iroh actually ended up being mm-hmm. so I think it was like it, it, it was a still a full circle statement 
I mean, the way the way I kind of I like to read it is, it not that it was actually not that it wasn't hard, but that he's now recognized that it should have been easy, and he's kind of sort of coming to terms with the fact that it that it even though it was a very difficult decision, in the end it wasn't. Like in, after the fact, once he made the decision, it beca- it's become very easy to stick to it. And I think it's more about his present state of mind than his past state of mind. That makes sense, right? I agree. All right. So you you hate Zuko and May, right? Yes. What's there to like about okay. it? <laughs> okay. Because I think this is the best moment of them in the entirety of this show. And it's literally three lines of, I did have a girlfriend, that gloomy girl who sighs a lot, and then just, yeah. And Yeah, I know what you're saying. I, I understand. I like, I do think, one, I think it's important that the, like, you get an extremely rare smile out of Zuko. Like, that is not something that you see often. I mean, literally in this episode, he's like, I'm never happy. Like, that's something he, he says. And I do think it is pretty telling that in this moment, Sokka says something that maybe not the nicest thing in the world. And a couple of weeks ago on the beach, when Tai Lee says, like, your aura is gray... You know, Zuko literally, like, tries to defend her. And is like, that's, you know, you should show emotion and stuff. And I think, while I do agree with you that they there, there really isn't all that much for this pairing, I think this moment here is, is one of the few that is really, is indicative of the fact that Zuko does know who Mei is and likes Mei for who she is. And he's not like... Well, she's not, like, there's no, like, she's not gloomy all the time or, like, you know, trying to be, like, playoff. Like, he's just, like... No, but the, the way it's written, and I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, but the way it's written is whenever she's in a good mood, he's in a sour mood, which gets her in a sour mood, which gets him in a worse mood, and then also vice versa. So that's the issue. They obviously both have good times with each other, but you don't normally see it, especially back when he first makes it back, because that's... Can I posit something, though? Sure. Is that not significantly more indicative of the fact that Zuko does not feel even remotely right at once he gets back to the Fire Nation? Yeah, no, that's one, in fact, that's 100%. But then my point to you is, what we, the viewer, see... Is yeah. the drama? No, no, I, I, I do agree with that, and that what I'm saying is, I think this is this is a very rare moment of. I buy it, like I really buy their relationship, or I mean, in this case, non-relationship, right here, and I think that you're you are you're not wrong that what we see of their relationship is pretty meh and like very like there isn't that much there, and it is a lot of like constant arguing, constant bickering, which I don't particularly like. But I do think that this is a telling is a telling moment because it's not Zuko pours his heart out and finally admits actually I like her. It's just like he you know, he mentions May and you can just tell like he like 
actually kind of is happy thinking about the her. And I, I don't know. I like I like it. And for a relationship that is pretty mediocre, this is a rare bright spot. And I ultimately agree. And I mean, I I know they have a good like when the, when the chips are down, they have a good relationship. I just always complained about it every episode we got to because you always saw them at their worst because you had to do that, obviously, and it makes sense, but you're right. This is indicative of, you know, they actually had it good. They had a lot of good moments that we weren't, as the viewer, seeing, and even ones that we did see. Um, it, so, sure. All right, so let me ask you a question. Yeah. It is my understanding that you are an avid, avid prequel memer. I, I, I've, I've dabbled okay, once so or twice. I want you to, how, on a, a rating, what is your, your rating scale for That's Rough Buddy in the, the pantheon of truly great memes? That's, where, where does this the num- uh, so number, there's three iconic S-tier Avatar memes. That's one of them. My Cabbages is another one. Uh, and, oof. What would, would be a third S-tier meme? There's a lot of them, but. The, the, the deadly... Tea or the the, the tasty tea oh yeah yeah it's a truly iconic TLA meme. It is, it is. I see it all. All right, fine. Those are the three most iconic ones. But I as, as soon as I, I I forgot this was the episode where it, it said, and the second they had it set up, I'm like, up oh, here it comes, and yes, it is an iconic meme. Good. I I, I, I agree with that. I, I think this is this. This is one of this is one of the few things that has come out of Avatar. Oh, also there is one other one. I, I don't know if it's iconic, but in terms of like reference, just using the phrase "everything changed when blank attacked" is a pretty. Oh well, that of is, course. That is that has made its way into a lot of pop culture. I, I think though that that's rough, buddy. Is one of the few like one of the things I do see like totally outside of Avatar circles where like. Someone will say something, and you'll just get like the, the "that's rough, buddy," and that's it, it, it is quite good. Yes, and then it's my personal favorite one. Yeah, well, I think it's most people's favorite one. Um, and I think that's a good transition because I, I, I think this episode is really good with using humor. I think this episode uses humor like really well. Um, yep. Obviously, yep. that's you know, this is a, that's a great meme. I really love the little exchange in the. Um, in the lounge with, uh, you know, come on, new guy, take your helmet off. And, you know, he kind of gives the, like, you know, obviously kind of, like, fake answer because he can't take his helmet off. Like, what if a, what if an inmate comes up behind and smacks me on the head and they, they all just start laughing? Like, give it a week, you know, because it's I, – I like it because, again, obviously, like, he's needing to hide his identity and, like, that's why this is happening. But I, I think they just add – there's a nice little bit of comedy thrown in there, and, and, I, and I think it plays really well. In general, like, I think this show is usually at its best with comedy when its bumbling Fire Nation guards are, like, the peak of Avatar comedy. Yeah, it's no, like absolutely. It's like that and whenever there's a dinner scene. Like, if you put, if you give these writers, like, either of those things, it's almost always really good, funny-wise. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so I want to I ask you a, an actual, like, genuinely serious question, which we do mm-hmm. sometimes get to on these shows. The fact that this is a co-ed prison with co-ed guards. How do you feel about that? It's fine. I, I don't think they needed to. It, it is what it is. Does it really matter? Like, 
of, of like, does it matter? Show. No. In real life, it matters. No, but, in... but no, 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 let me. Here's what I'm gonna say. But here's what I'm positing, though, and this this is why it, it did actually kind of stick out to me because one, the Fire Nation has been shown to be very. I mean, a fascist, but well, yeah, yes. this is, if there was, if it was all men, other than the fact that the whole Suki, the, the Suki part of this wouldn't make sense, this would be, would, I wouldn't be surprised at all. The fact that it's co-ed I don't know. I like. I feel like this. The thing I is, it have doesn't. A reaction it, to this. It's just like, and I don't know what my reaction even should be. Like, is this progressive? Is this like really bad? Because clearly, there's a lot of sexual the, assault going on. Like, how? Like, wait, what, what do you mean? Reaction what, to this? I, what do you mean clearly? It, but. What do you mean there's clearly sexual assault going on? I mean, there's there's enough sexual assault in prisons that are non-coed. In the in the fart. let's take a step back here. In real life, yes, we're talking about a kid. I know it's our job to analyze this stuff. The Fire Nation is very equal on genders, uh, through and through. Um, so much to the point where it does not shock me they have a co-ed prison with but male and female guards. To some, but that but that right there is is the is the thing that I'm saying. It is bizarre to me. That what you're saying is the Fire Nation, which is literally genociding a lot of people, like, they do that, has incredibly regressive policies towards the, um, like, towards conquered territories, don't seem to care that much about the environment, all of this stuff. But they're progressive when it comes to equality well, it's, their, it's their culture this is the culture that doesn't exist on earth um obviously and if let's who knows maybe forever the fire nation was completely equal between genders and then you have a complete opposite and, and that's what i love about the avatar universe the water tribes more specifically the northern water tribe it are supposed to be the good guys, and but are, they, yeah, are, they are completely regressive towards. And that's what, I, and I like that, and I like that type but of story. I, so, but that's my that is my question here: Is that the intent? Is the intent to say the Fire Nation is actually pretty progressive when it comes to men and women, or I don't I don't think the writers had intent. Is there no intent that. at all. I think there was no intent at all. I think the writers made. And animated women and men in a prison just because I don't think there was an, a conscious thought that they were doing it to send the message that the Fire Nation are equal. And I think the writers are equal on the genders, just generally outside, of course, the storytelling purposes of what happened in a northern water tribe. But I don't think this scene, or sorry, this episode was written with the intent, like, oh, I really hope, like, the more avid people watching this realize that this is a co-ed yeah, I'm, I'm I'm one I'm I am wondering because to my knowledge and I, I could maybe I'm wrong here but 
to my knowledge, I don't think there has ever been a society that is regressive on everything. LGBT rights, um, you know, committing genocide, um, the, you know, has a all, you know, absolute, you know, fascist, if not imperial um, leader, but is like completely equal equality among the sexes. I don't think that's like ever happened. And I, we we live about, we live on earth and a lot of inequality between genders. There's, well, there's two real reasons. It's because of obviously back when we were evolutionary, it makes perfect sense. You hunter gatherer Mm. society, whatever, but then that's that's not true. All right, fine. I, I assume, but no, I I just, just, just to be, to be clear about this, Society was actually more egalitarian when we were hunter-gatherers than civilization. Civilization has actually been shown to cause a lot more of the inequality. Well, then, religion. And to my knowledge, there are no... You don't know. We don't know anything about... What I'm saying, though, is it's... It'd be one thing if you were to say, okay, this is a completely different world. We know that there are gendered issues on this earth like the northern water tribe exists we like we literally yes. know that the reason i bring the, the reason i do bring it up though is that i i think it's there is a you know is the school of thought that is that says all bigotry is the same and there's the school of thought that says that no different types of bigotry are different and i don't think that they're specifically making that point i don't think they're trying to say that like you can like the this is a conscious choice, but I do think that maybe unintentionally that they are like sort of going into that view, and that is that's interesting, and it just it's something I never had even thought of until I sort of really dove into this episode. But it just was like very striking to me for a second. That was like, wait a minute, this is a little odd. I, I, so like obviously. I, again, you, me, the Star Wars nerd. The First Order right now is exactly what the Fire Nation is. You see male and female officers, all gender, uh, literally, like, you know, everything. So I, I just think it's just a norm. Like, you, because you're fascist first, does not first mean... First of all, if you don't think that the next Star Wars movie is going to at some point have some kind of statement about, like, how the... The first order actually hates women and is like, "How could Ray possibly be this good?" You're you're not watching the movies I'm watching, and it, I don't have. A, I'm assuming that was. Sorry, I don't have a problem with that. I'm just saying that that's going to happen. There is no way. Maybe Ray, whatever, but there's no way they're going to go out of their way to show the first order sexist. Would you like to put some money on that? I will absolutely put money on that. Right. We'll talk offline. I'm not betting during the podcast. All right, fine. Um, yeah, I, 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 obviously, I know I am reading too much into this. I'm just, I'm. This is something that that did stuck stick out to me, and I, and I wanted to at least at least bring it up. Um, what do you think of the cooler? As like a a, a way to stop fire as benders like from fire fire bending. Secure, isolated, you know, uh, isolated. It's, it's, a, it's a phenomenal idea. 
Um, it's cruel. I, I think it's solitary confinement. Uh, is what I was looking for. And it, 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 it's tiny. It, 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 it's so screwed up. It's like worse than solitary. It's like a tiny box. Literally, you're in a fucking freezer. Um, it's. So I want to. I want to ask you a question. And this is not just an avatar question. Mm-hmm. Once you add a world where people have, for lack of a better term, magical powers that necessitate extra levels of containment in order to keep them from escaping or from doing the things that you don't want them to do. And we are we understand that these are criminals. Right. Whatever you may say, and you can we can we can have a full debate about, you know, you know, how incarceration should work. But just starting from the assumption that there are some things that if you do, you should not be able to be in, in society. You know, whether uh-huh. how do you think that a world that someone should deal with this? Whether it's meta humans in the DC universe, mutants and X Men Benders and Avatar, so people with magic asking, in Harry Potter. Are you, you're saying to me, am I too harsh on calling it cruel? No, no, no. What I'm saying is you get into a position where, for instance, spoilers for Korra, when Zaheer gets locked up, he has to be literally like chained yeah. down. Waterbenders, if they're locked up, have to be given extremely small amounts of water lest they are able to use it to bend and potentially cause harm. Now let's remove the Fire Nation from it for a second. Let's remove the fact that these are bad people and the people who are locked up by fascists are fairly often not actually bad. But if you have someone who genuinely deserves to be locked up. They have they have murdered someone. We know that they've murdered someone. They've been convicted by a jury of their peers. And, you know, we've we've entered a world where the criminal justice system is relatively even, is not, you know, all that so removing all that stuff. Do you think that the fact that a waterbender can bend necessitates them being essentially kept in a state of dehydration at all times? Or any of the other extreme methods you must use to contain someone who has superhuman abilities. Does the question make sense? Yes. And yes. I think those especially yes, the the steps need to be taken. The other option, I mean, there are, on the flip side, there are ways to remove bending. Um, So if that became common, then I would say that all criminals that are you know, extreme should have bending removed, and then that eliminates it, right? Well, it does. I mean, I guess if it, if yes, if it's temporary, you can just do it while you've been locked up. But in some, if it's chi blocking, that does it does seem like chi blocking isn't particularly comfortable. It does mean sort of getting punched a bunch of times. Uh, it's better better than being in a freezer, being dehydrated forever, or having. That's fair. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think that this that it does that extraordinary circumstances do necessitate certain things. And I do believe that there are certain things you can do that will that essentially mean you forfeit certain rights. And I think that that's that's a true statement. 
But I do think it's somewhat interesting that sort of like what the is a is essentially is it is it a person's fault that they have such abilities that forces them to be kept in such a state? No, and there 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 should be humane ways around it. Um, but this is again, this is so it is a complicated term. I mean, when you're taught certain things, I mean, it it does depend a little bit on the universe. I, I think step step one should be to remove their bending. If if step one isn't efficient, then yes, you got got to keep them in, in these conditions and then you know it's, again it's a kid show but I, I guarantee you i think the death penalty would be more of a thing in the avatar universe i mean it's not it's reasonable but then again i mean i'm i'm kind of thinking more of like in like a lot of in like marvel and dc right. they like i mean with these crazy prisons and stuff but it's funny because like magneto lives in relative comfort it's pla it's a plastic prison but it's not like in fact, Magneto's prison's nicer than most prisons, if you think about it. I, I honestly uh, don't know anything about the X-Men. Uh, well, it's it's a giant, and I mean Literally giant... all I know about the X-Men universe of prisons is that scene in Deadpool with the prison. In Deadpool yeah. 2. I, right. I don't, I okay, don't know okay. anything about X-Men. But it depends on what your powers are. Uh, a lot of other mutants have very uncomfortable ways that they are held down, similar to Avatar, but Magneto is not inhumanely treated and he's powered to be one of the biggest villains in X-Men. He's in a giant, giant plastic prison. Mm-hmm. Period. Just period. Mm-hmm. So, and it's not uncomfortable. It's not inhumane. It's isolated and you could, we could have a whole debate about the merits of isolation, but... Um, yeah, no, I think that's I, I, I think that's fair. Um, I, I, it's just one of those things you do get to see kind of a little bit of here. Um, and especially because in this case, it's firebenders actually stopping other firebenders as opposed to kind of, you know, in the X-Men situation where it's kind of humans trying to stop mutants or, or something along other, something else. Right. Um, all right. So one thing that I just, other than the obvious reasons of story choices that I just don't get, why in the world did this, is the decision... Let's let Zuko get caught and have Sokka stay a guard. Um, uh, I don't know. Would it really have changed anything if it was reversed? Yes. Sokka is just random person that they found. I mean, they might have just killed him, but like, he's not third most recognizable person in the Fire Nation. Right. Fourth. Ozai, Iroh, Az- yeah, fourth. Oh, yeah, but I mean, no. but, but I mean, like in the story, it made sense. You had well, him yeah. rest. Obviously, within the story, it makes sense. I'm just saying, within this, it is it is a weird choice in that moment to be like, yeah, let's let Zuko get caught. That couldn't go poorly. No, but it it, it made sense for the, what they were doing. It's not like they just made a stupid decision in writing it. Yeah. Now, that's fine. What I do not understand and what I have genuinely never understood, why doesn't the warden immediately turn Zuko over? Yeah, he was, ex- he was like, wasn't he about to like, give him, well, like, I will in due time. Like, I uh, intend uh, to collect, I think is his exact line. I would like to know what he intended to collect. I, I'm just, unless it literally is, 
he wanted to let May talk to him. But that's a weird... That's weird for this warden who's like really tough, cares so much on about his record of um, uh, of no one escaping, and yet is like, hang on, let me check with my niece first before I turn over the most important prisoner in the Fire Nation. Whom, if it, if it turns out that anyone finds out I didn't immediately turn him over, I will be thrown in this prison. I don't know, but that's again storytelling one hundred and one. This one is <laughs> this one is harder to swallow. I, I when I first saw it today, I, I viewed it more as there was like an unresolved issue we had with the fire lord or something, or like I thought well, there was like kind a... of, that was kind of the sense I was getting. Like, is there? Are we trying to argue that like? Unless, okay, this is this is this has become a classic thing for us on this show, where I argue about something is bad, and then I have an idea in my head, and I I now work out it on uh, live, on 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 this podcast. So the reason is the warden wants to know how Zuko got in and why he got in before turning him over because while the record is no one's ever gotten out the fact that someone could get in is a really big deal does that make sense yes and that for the warden he needs to know he needs to probe Zuko for a for information and for to figure out what because the, there's no logical reason for Zuko to just be in this prison, right? So that could make sense. Now, obviously, I'm searching for subtext when there is none, but okay. I'm at least giving it a, a pseudo-explainable explanation. It's, it's not. It's not a, a derail moment. Yes. Um, as for a really great callback, Zuko's little breath of fire. I love that. Loved it. That, yep. you know, perfect. Yep. Um. My God, though, once the the the, the, the tall guy gets in the boat, like you had one job. Don't say anything. And you're like, you know what? Let's start paddling. I'm telling you, man. And he's exact. I wish you remembered Jackie Chan more because he's like exactly him. I don't know. That 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 level of stupidity almost bothered me. Yeah, but he, you know, especially considering they're gonna get him out next week. Like, be one thing if like he never saw him again, and it's like, okay, he was dumb. But it's like, wow, he just figured it out. Right, right. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. The 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 final shot we get to see uh, his father. Um, I, you know, it's obviously a nice little uh, little middle moment for our our friend Saga. Oh, I don't know what this is. What happens when I watched the episode? Of, in fairness, I watched this episode a little while ago, and I'm just going off my notes. 
We didn't talk at all about Suki. So let's talk about Suki for a second. Um, okay. For one, so you, you mentioned in, in your intro about how, like, when Suki, Suki and Zuko are kind of first scrubbing the floors and, um, Sok, you know, you get that. Well, the last, the first, last time we met, you tried to burn down my village. It was such a, thr- and here's the thing. I normally, and I will take some points off the episode for that, but I would normally be more angry and, and, and talk to you about it. But why, this, this episode has such a consistent pace. The humor was well. The, the buddy cop dynamic between the two were great. It was like, a, like, like doing that and really dwelling on it just would have derailed the episode in a way and make it confusing even though it's necessary to do and like i just you know sure i don't feel it was like an organic thing but i'm okay with it for the sense that they did not need to change the entire tone of the episode or just have one throwaway serious thing between them and just make the tone weird between the two so i'll accept it um the one the one place i would disagree is i do think that the specific circumstances of the encounter plays into this a little bit like i i think this this moment is very different if like they're just in a random town the fact that they're both like in prison i do think matters here like in most shows that would actually obviously focus on this like it would be one of those things where soon the no line spoken as soon as she sees zuko she grabs him and pushes him against the thing and is like how dare you bring him and then Sokka talked her down and be like listen he's different now no time to explain we need to escape we can discuss this later and that could have been it but again that could have in a way made it a little bit more awkward i i don't disagree with you but what i'm saying is i i do think the fact that they're both in prison is an important part of that because i don't think that that moment like that moment plays very weird if they're with the fact that they're both scrubbing the floors in prison i'm aware i'm agreeing to an extent but if i if i imagine this is real life I would imagine there being prison or not prison, uh, a moment of passion, not just a throwaway line. Like, yeah, last time I saw you, you burned down my village. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, that's fair. And I, I don't think you're, I don't think you're wrong. I'm, I'm more just trying to kind of put myself into their, into their emotional states. But yeah. I, again, I do think you're not wrong on this, in this level. It's going to take away some points. However, I am completely accepting of the reason why mm-hmm. it would have made the awkward episode a little bit more awkward, um, but it is what it is. But you, you know, you, you got to do what you got to mm-hmm. do. So the other thing, specifically about Suki, that is, this is from this point forward, Suki will be in the entirety of the rest of the show, and while it's a very small. They're, they're both very small things. Suki is in the kind of final scene of the entire show in, in, in Iroh's Tea Shop. And Suki is also in 
the watercolor painting at the start of Korra with the entirety of Teen Avatar. And I do think it's somewhat interesting looking at the role Suki plays in this show as a whole, where she is in one episode in book one. She is in one, two, three episodes of book two. And then 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 of this show. And yet she definitely looms very large for a pseudo minor character. What do you think about Suki overall within this show? Just as like ending up becoming kind of a major character, but very much at the end. I'm, I'm again. This is the season, and I mentioned this other episodes recently. That this is the season where you are never punished for, for watching every episode of Avatar, and this is just another part of it. And it's, I think, it's completely fine. Oh no, I'm not. And I think she's a great character. I think she's one of the best female characters in The Last Airbender. Mm. I mean, there's so many good. Thing, you say, but you say that, but like. All right, fine. I will. I will. Let me narrow it. Let me narrow it. It, I think she's still in my top five, and I can't. I don't want to. Again, I'm really cloudy headed right now. I can't. I I, maybe next week, if you remind me, I'll have my list ready of who my top five at last. There, and maybe she's not on my top five. But next week, June. Top. So Azula, Azula, Toph, Katara. Um. You have to put June in there. June, all right. Oh no, I think Suki is. I think I think Suki, you could argue Suki's the head of a few characters. So I, I in minimum top ten, and I know that sounds like not that good, but there's a lot of fucking good women. No, in... but that's that that's the thing. That's indicative of what this show is. The fact that it it is, I I kind of the reason I kind of sort of chat when you're like top five or you know top female characters is like in a lot of shows you would say that, and it's like oh yeah, because there's like three good female characters but it's like no no there's like a bunch in this show it's no there's so many and and she's i she's a great character i'm I'm so happy that she's taken more and she's a phenomenal warrior she and she really contributes at the end of the show yeah no i i think it really it really works i i just think it's interesting to see an indicative of suki's power as a character that even though she is not a particularly large presence throughout the entirety of this show, you know, she, she really is not in that many episodes. She is definitely given a much larger place within the overall, like, history of Avatar, which is indicative of the fact that she is such a strong character and leaves such an imprint without that much screen time. And I think that's, I think that's great. I think that, that, that does show how well she has written that it's not like she needed a full season in the show. Like she only needed a few episodes for this to be an iconic and important character within this series. Right. All right. So I think that's pretty much it. Do you have any, any, anything else you want to talk about before we get in, we wrap this thing up? Nope. Nope. I think we covered everything. All right. So why don't you give us your final thoughts and your rating? Love the episode. Love the consistent tone of the episode. Um, I was not really upset about a lot of things that happened. The, the dynamic between Zuko and Sokka is phenomenal. 
Um, it was lighthearted. As you said, a lot of the best humor comes from the Fire Nation guards. Uh, it was paced perfectly, a perfect idea to keep the rest of Team Avatar out of it and not really show them at all, actually. The cliffhanger was a great cliffhanger. And this episode certainly gets a solid 8 out of 10. Yeah, I'm maybe a little bit higher than you. I, I really genuinely love these two episodes. Um, I, I think it's. I think that they made some really smart decisions with, with specifically the kind of casting, so to speak, or even kind of to go with my basketball metaphor that I've been using a lot, like... This is this is they put Zuko and Sokka together, let them run, you know, kind of run, pick and roll together, and it works really well. And you know what? Sometimes you got to take the ball away from Aang and even take the ball away from Katara. And you when you distribute your shots like this, it, it works well. So I give them a lot of credit for that. I think it's you know indicative of confident writers that they you know that you can they can say all right, we're going to take away kind of. Three of our main characters, Ang, Katara, and Toph, they're basically not going to be in two episodes towards the end of the show, and it's going to be fine. And it was. And that's, that's really positive. The humor is really great. The, and like I said, anytime, anytime there are guards, it's usually quite funny. Um, yeah, there's a couple of little things here and there that are, that are probably irrelevant and, and are a little weird, but that's fine. Overall, I'm going to give this an 8.6 out of 10. I think this is a, it is a truly, like, really... Really great episode, um, and we look forward to moving into the into into part two uh, next week. So, with that, thank you, Corey, for joining me, and uh, thank you guys for for tuning in. We will be back next week with part two, and then we will have two episodes left before the finale. So, we are rapidly coming to the end. <laughs>